Good morning. Looks like we've got a good number with us this morning. We're certainly glad that you're here. We're going to talk about and tackle a much-needed subject this morning, and that is the subject of discouragement. Discouragement is something that we all have to deal with from time to time, isn't it? We all get discouraged, and uh, whether it be trouble, trouble at work, might be trouble at home, might be trouble in society, might be trouble even in the church, it can cause us sometimes to become discouraged. And it's something that we deal with. It's like a health problem that you can't quite get rid of sometimes it seems. seems like you've just about overcome it and then it crops back up and you deal with discouragement again. Well, that tends to happen. And the fact of the matter is that the strongest of Christians still have to deal with discouragement. All Christians deal with discouragement. No Christian is immune to it. And the other fact of the matter is that discouragement is a part of life. It is a normal part of life. And that leads us to our first point this morning, which is that discouragement is normal. We don't need to be alarmed if we have ever found ourselves to be discouraged. Discouragement is normal. We don't need to think that there's something wrong with us simply because we've become discouraged. Now, there's another aspect, a deeper aspect of discouragement we might get into another time, known as depression, and we know that sometimes there are physical health problems that can lead to that. There can be chemical hormonal imbalances within the brain that can lead to clinical depression. We're not talking about that this morning. We're talking about simply being discouraged, simply maybe feeling a little bit off, maybe not feeling quite yourself, and maybe not feeling quite as strong as a Christian as you may have felt at other times in your life. That's what we're talking about this morning. And so it definitely is normal. And there's nothing wrong with you simply because you have become discouraged, and we need to make sure and acknowledge that. Everybody gets discouraged. You don't need to think that you are an oddball or that somehow you're the only one that has to deal with this problem because we all deal with this. But I want, I want to also address the timing of this lesson because this time of year, percentage-wise, more times than other times of the year perhaps, there are many people who find themselves discouraged. There's less daylight, the sun sets earlier, thanks daylight saving time, right? We don't get as much sunlight and vitamin D, which boosts the immune system, by the way, from that sunlight. We don't get as much of that this time of year, and people tend to get down. Even in, I was talking to a funeral director a couple weeks ago, and I just asked, I said, I've always wondered... What's your busiest time of year? You know what they said? This time of year. And I looked it up, and statistically, December and January. That's the most busy time for a funeral director. And we call this time of year 
the holiday season or the most wonderful time of year. And there's so much wonderful that goes on this time of year. So much to look forward to, especially the little children love this time of year. But, you know, you also get to thinking about, well, my loved one that I love so much isn't here anymore this time of year. And that gets people down sometimes. And it leads to discouragement. And when you compound that with the less daylight, it gets dark too soon. I can't wait for it to start uh, having sunlight longer again. And the cold weather, and oh, I don't feel like getting out doing much because it's so cold. You combine all these things, you compound all these things, and you can very easily get discouraged this time of year. And so with that timing of, of this, I want us to be mindful of the fact that in a group this number, a, a size of Christians this number, it very well could be that there's quite a few discouraged people in here this morning. But you know what? There's no better place to be. There's no better place to be than with fellow Christians here to encourage one another. Hebrews 10 verse 24 tells us that we are to provoke one another unto love and good works. We are to consider one another as we do that, and we encourage one another with our presence this morning. Hebrews 10.25, we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but we exhort one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. It indeed is normal. If you have been down recently, you're not alone. You're not the only one. It is common to be down and to be discouraged. I want you to listen to what the 19th century American author, James Whitcomb Riley, said about discouragement. He said the most essential factor when dealing with this is persistence. The determination never to allow your energy or enthusiasm to be dampened by the discouragement that must inevitably come. You see, it is inevitable. We will face it. But we've got to press on. We've got to remember who we are. We've got to remember who we serve. Jesus Christ, our Master, our Lord, and our Savior. And He's on our side. He is our friend. He is our King. He loves us. And we'll be okay. Even when sometimes we don't feel like it because we're discouraged. Persistence. Did you know that the great artist Vincent Van Gogh became so discouraged from time to time that he would cast aside his pencil and he wouldn't draw? He'd cast aside his brush and he wouldn't paint. Did you know that? Here's a quote from Vincent Van Gogh. He said, in spite of everything, I shall rise again. I will take up my pencil, which I have forsaken in my great discouragement. We look at a Van Gogh painting and we think, this man was a genius. These are masterpieces that he has crafted with his pencil and with his paintbrush. And yet sometimes he casts his pencil and his paintbrush aside because of discouragement. He says which I have forsaken in my great discouragement, his pencil that is, I'll pick it back up and I will go on with my drawing. You see, he kept on. And we have the masterpieces 
to prove. But Vincent van Gogh kept on. Discouragement is normal. Christian, you need to understand that you're not alone. And we've got lots of Bible examples proving that we're not alone when we face discouragement. I want you to think about a list of people in the Bible who got discouraged from time to time. And you see some on the screen, and that is not by any means an all-exclusive or all-inclusive list of people who got discouraged. In fact, I would presume to say that probably every person mentioned in the Bible, a lot of them, we've got actual examples of them getting discouraged, but I pretty much guarantee all of them got discouraged. Why? Because this is the common lot in human life, isn't it? You can think about men such as Abraham and Moses and David and Job. What about uh, Abraham? Do you think he got discouraged when old Pharaoh tried to take his wife from him? Yes, so much so that he, he lied about it. He shouldn't have done that, but that's what he did. Think that was discouraging? You think he might have been a little bit discouraged when he was told to sacrifice Isaac? Probably was for a moment, but you know what? He still was faithful to God. He still did what he was supposed to do, and he got to the point he was ready, wasn't he? But that angel stopped him. Think about Moses. I know Moses must have gotten discouraged many times dealing with those Israelites in the wilderness. What about David? David wrote a whole bunch of psalms, sometimes dealing with discouragement. Job, that's the ultimate book. Job wrote the book on it as it pertains to discouragement. What about Solomon? Solomon had a whole bunch of wives and concubines that dragged him down and and influenced him towards idolatry. You think he was discouraged? I'm sure he was. What about Elijah? Elijah dealt with discouragement when his brook dried up. And when he's dealing with old wicked uh, Ahab and and Jezebel, I guarantee you uh, Elijah faced discouragement. What about Ezra? What about Nehemiah when they were having to rebuild the temple, rebuilding the walls after captivity? Ezra and Nehemiah, did they face adversaries when they had to do that? Yes, they did. Think they got discouraged? Of course they did. They kept on and they got the job done. Transition to the New Testament. What about Peter? You think Peter was discouraged when, for instance, he denied Jesus three times? I think he was. What about Paul? When three times Paul uh, faces shipwreck, I believe it was three times, uh, when he was beaten with rods, when he spends a night and a day in the deep, Think he got discouraged? You think he got discouraged when he's having to write Corinthians? He's having to get on to them because they're not getting this right, they're not getting that right, they're not getting this right and that right and this right. I think that was discouraging. Do you think he would have preferred to write a nice, lovely letter of, oh, you're doing so great, you're doing everything right? I'm sure he would have loved to have done that, but he didn't do that because they had all these problems that he had to deal with. And he had to take upon himself the care of all the churches, he says. I'm sure it was discouraging. We think about all of these examples in the list could go on and on of people in the Bible who got 
discouraged. And so, Christian, if you're discouraged today, guess what? You're in good company because they all got discouraged. I want you to think about a couple of examples we're going to read through at this time. And the first is, is Moses there. And we want to turn back and read from Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18. Moses. This is the story of how Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, he helped Moses out. Because if it were not for Jethro right here, Moses might would have just withered and died. Because he was taking too much upon himself. Moses was burnt out. But Jethro saves the day. Never underestimate Jethro. He was a wonderful father-in-law. Let's look at, at uh, Exodus chapter 18. And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel as people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer. For he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other about their well-being, and they went into the tent. Can you imagine how refreshing it was to see his, his wife, his sons, his father-in-law, after all that Moses has been through? That was a wonderful moment, I'm sure. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them uh, on the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and offered sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. All day long, the people are coming to Moses with all their problems. Help me with this, Moses. Help me with that. Did you hear about this, Moses? From morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he had did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit? And all the people stand before you from morning until evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between one and another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. 
Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men. Select people who can help you with this, who are able, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. What is he doing? He's delegating. Delegate some of this. Moses, you can't handle this. How many people was he leading out of Egypt? In the hundreds of thousands, some think maybe in the millions. It's a lot of people. Moses was consuming himself with this. And so you need to delegate. And let them judge the people at, time, at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. Christians, don't forget we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. So Moses... Uh, Verse number 23, rather, if you do this thing, God so commands you, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place in peace. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. So they judged the people at all times, the hard cases they brought to Moses, but they charged every small case themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way to his own land. What if Moses hadn't done that? Something tells me Joshua would have been taking leadership a whole lot sooner because Moses would have just worn himself out, worn himself then, and that would have been all she wrote for Moses. So thank Thankful so much for Jethro stepping in and saving the day. Let's turn and look at one more passage in the Old Testament, and that is 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah. Dealing with some of the most wicked people who have ever reigned in Ahab and his wife, Jezebel. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, let's see what happens with Elijah. 1 Kings 17, verses 1 through 7. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Sherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, 
For he went and stayed by the brook Sherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Notice verse 7. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up. What now, Elijah? The brook's dried up because there had been no rain in the land. You keep on reading, and he goes into the land of Zarephath. He's going to help a widow and her family there. He's going to help them from starvation. He's also going to perform a miracle to bring a child back to life. You keep on reading. But I want us to turn and look at chapter 19. Chapter 19. This is indeed a roller coaster of emotions. You know what else happens besides uh, a very downward slide of emotions with the brook drying up? Then you've got this upward slide of emotions with he's performing these miracles. You know, you know what else is going to happen? He's going to defeat the prophets of Baal. He's going to have victory because of the Lord. He's going to defeat these prophets of, of Baal. So wonderful times for Elijah. But then we go back in that downward slide. Notice chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. These are dark times for the prophets of the Lord. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Jezebel says, your days are numbered, Elijah. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down by under a broom tree or a juniper tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. This is a low. This is an all-time low for Elijah. Jezebel is trying to get me. I'm on the run. Just let me die here. I'm done. It is enough. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey's too great for you. His journey wasn't done, was it? So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave, and he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Elijah says, I'm the only one. They've killed them all. I'm the only one left who wants to do right. Or so he felt. 
Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. And then notice verse number 18. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. God says, you think you're alone, Elijah. There's 7,000. 7,000 more that you're unaware of who have not bowed the knee to Baal. You can get through this. What if Elijah had died right there under the broom tree? What if he had not anointed his replacement in Elisha? All because he succumbed to discouragement. Christian, you're not alone if you face discouragement. Ultimately, you know why you're not alone? Because even Jesus Christ faced discouragement. Isaiah 53 says that he was a man of sorrows. and He was acquainted with grief. Jesus Christ faced discouragement. Did you know that sometimes Jesus had to get away? He had to get away to a solitary place and pray. Mark 1, verse 35. I want you to look at Luke 19. Luke 19, verses 41 through 44. Do you think this was discouraging for Jesus? Luke 19, verses 41 through 44. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city, Jerusalem, and wept over it. Brethren, John eleven thirty five 35 is not the only place Jesus wept. Jesus Christ draws near to the city that he loves, this holy city of Jerusalem, and he weeps over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days... 
will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. The rebellious Jews in Jerusalem, ultimately when this takes place later on, Jesus loved them. They were his people. He didn't want that to happen to them. But he knew it was going to happen because they rebelled against him. Think about the time when Peter just got through denying Jesus. Think that discouraged Jesus? Jesus was about to go to his cross for you and me and for Peter and for everyone else who's ever lived. And here Peter is, one of his best friends. Peter was in the inner three, Peter, James, and John. I like to think of it as best friends of Jesus, essentially. And here Peter is denying Jesus three times. You think that discouraged Jesus? In Luke 22, verse 61, after Peter denies him, in my estimation, one of the more underrated, saddest passages in the Bible, it says, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine the sadness and sorrow that was on his face? He turns and he looks at Peter. Peter, how could you? You know who I am. You're my friend, Peter. He knew it, though. He was going to deny him three times. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. What have I done to my Lord? He goes out and he weeps bitterly. Christian, make no mistake about it, Jesus Christ had to suffer discouragement. You're not alone. So what's the answer to discouragement? Number one, Realize it's going to happen. Don't pretend like you're above discouragement. You're not. Discouragement will happen. But realize that if you're discouraged this morning, this is the place to come. This is the place to be. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. You want encouragement? Encouragement rather than discouragement, you come right here. That's what we're here for. We are a family. We are the support system that God has designed for one another to encourage one another. If you're discouraged this morning, you've come to the right place. Number two, realize God is with us. God is with us. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Jesus Christ went through 
all kinds of suffering, just like we do. He suffered. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief for us. He did that because he loves us. Be assured that he loves you. Be assured of this passage in Joshua 1 verse 9. When Joshua was about to embark on the same kinds of things that Moses had to go through, guess what? Joshua, you're next because you're taking over for Moses. What was Joshua told in Joshua 1 verse 9? Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. A lot of versions say dismayed. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Finally, don't forget this principle found in Galatians 6 verse 9. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. Christian, don't lose heart. Keep going. Be faithful. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation this morning, you have opportunity to do so. If you've never obeyed the gospel, having obeyed the gospel by being immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins, being baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, repenting of your sins, confessing Christ, believing in Him. If you've never done that, you can do that this morning. If you need to come for any other reason, we ask that you please come as together we stand and as we sing.